excited to jump in on the series called Jesus Talks. And uh, today I, I'm going to share, and not just a phrase, but a question that Jesus asked Peter that changed his entire life, that I believe changed his thinking and how he actually moved forward into the next season of his life. And I believe that question just may change you today, and I hope that it does. The title of my message, if you're taking notes, if you're online or whatever, is called On the Ledge. So it's called On the Ledge. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Peter's journey. We're going to pick up in John chapter 21 before I pray. But uh, I want to talk about On the Ledge. There's a ledge that each one of us are on today. I, I, I don't think it's by accident that we've had with the coronavirus that things are shutting down and churches are having to uh, not meet and, and, and figure out unique ways to meet at home and to figure out what the church looks like. And there's this ledge that I believe that God is calling each one of us as individuals into. There's a ledge that's holding us back from being in the church. There's a ledge that maybe is holding us back from experiencing the fullness that God called us all to live within. And so there's a ledge, and I want to talk about Peter's ledge that we see in John chapter 21. Let me summarize, and then I'm going to read uh, the scripture for a minute. What we know about Peter was Peter was an ordinary guy. He wasn't special. He, uh, the Bible actually said he was fishing. He just was a fisherman. He was really good at it, and he did it for a living. And Jesus encounters Peter and asks him to follow me. He, he invites Peter into this journey of, uh, of following Jesus, and it changed his life. He left everything and followed God. He did miracles, and he saw things happen, and, and so Peter was this guy that was just an ordinary dude trying to find his way in life, and when he was following Jesus, he began to understand that he had a greater purpose and a calling to his life than just existing, that Jesus actually invited him to use his skills as a fisherman to be a fisher of men. He said, I want to teach you to use the skills that you're good at to reach the world. And so Peter began to understand this. And, and so he's, he's journeying with Jesus. He does all these amazing things, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And then, and then he, he has this famous moment where he denies Jesus, where the rooster crows. And, he, and Jesus almost called him and said, one day you're going to deny me three times. And Jesus, uh, Peter finds himself like denying this guy he loves so much in front of, in front of his face. And so he ends up in this place of guiltiness and feeling shame-filled because he, he had made a mistake. He, he didn't, maybe he, things got a little complicated in his world. And, and so then following Jesus felt now a little bit different than it was before because what once was just I'll leave everything and follow you now had a little bit of complication. Now had I, I've messed up, I've screwed up, I've, I've actually don't really know what I'm doing. And so we pick up in John chapter 21 and we see here in John chapter 21 that he actually decides to just go back to what he used to do, which was fishing. And he tells his disciples, he says, hey, I, I'm just going to go fishing, and I'm going to kind of get away from this and pout a little bit because I don't really know how to process all this stuff, and I don't know what's real here, and I, I know Jesus would never accept me anymore because of what I've done. And so Peter comes to this place, and, and all of a sudden he gets in the boat, and, and what we know from the story, which I'll read in a minute, is his, his friends jump in the boat with him. They're like, you're going to pout, we're going to pout with you, so you're not going by yourself. And they jump in the boat with him, and then he has this moment when Jesus appears to the disciples in this boat in John chapter 21. And he's walking across the shore, just nonchalant. Isn't that like Jesus to just do weird, nonchalant things, like just walking on the shore after he already was, he died and rose again, and he's just kind of appearing. And he, he appears on the shore of Peter's life and has this moment with Peter. And, and, and the disciples see that it's Jesus, and they say, it's Jesus. And Peter strips off his clothes. 
and jumps into the water and dives in off this ledge and swims out to Jesus. And he meets the person he denied. He meets the person that, that he got really complicated with. He meets the person that he maybe felt a little bit scared to re-engage. And when he meets Jesus, Jesus asks him a question. John chapter 21, verse 15, it says when they had finished breakfast, because they, they dove onto the land, they had a little bit of breakfast. And Jesus asked, said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And what we know from the response is Peter goes, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Like, you know that I love you. You know the depths of my soul. I, I denied you. I messed up. And things got a little complicated. But you know that I love you. But he says, do you love me? And then he says, feed my sheep or tend my sheep, which was a weird way of saying, man, love my people. Take care of my people. And he ends in that that whole John chapter 21 by saying, follow me. It's almost like the very, the very place that he started with Peter was the place that he ended with Peter, which was, do you love me? Well, then follow me. Come feed my sheep. Let me show you how to love people. The simplicity of this question, I believe, unlocked and unraveled and uncomplicated something in Peter because what we know is after this moment, Peter re-engages following Jesus in a new way and actually begins the church as we know it today. Begins to minister, begins to, 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 uh, to be bold and begins to go out and pray for people and people were healed and following Jesus all over the world and there was something that was unlocked by this simple question that Jesus asked Peter and I, I pray that maybe today that question to you might uncomplicate some things in the unprecedented times that we find ourselves in today. Jesus, I pray today that you would speak to us. God, that you would, uh, that your word and the way that you lived, the way that you spoke, even this question you posed to Peter, would it capture our imaginations? Would it help to maybe unravel some things where we have made church complicated? When it's really always been about loving you, God, would you help un unveil that to us this morning. I pray that there be a release of the church, an unleashing of the people of God to live simply before you as loved ones and ones that love. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to let you into my life uh, just a little bit. I, I'm a crazy nut. Um, I have my friends, the Fagans are here. They'll testify. They knew me as a kid that I was a nut. Uh, I was a little bit of a bold, any like um, people that just loved doing scary things, like you were that kid that jumped off ramps and just did things that you weren't supposed to. Any other people that like are like adrenaline junkies like me that just love doing, okay, like three of you, that's cool. Everybody else is just chilling. I need you, like you can just raise your hand and say that you are to help me feel better. <laughs> any online, you relate to me? Okay, good. I see all your hands. I love Scott. I, I wanted to, uh, being in high school, which I was a part of this church, I, I, the one thing I wanted to do was skydive. I just wanted to try it. I wanted to do it, and, and my parents would never let me do it. You know, have you ever, have you ever kids ask you to do something, and you're just like, no way. You're yeah, exactly, no way. And they said, no way we're letting you do it. And I get to my 18th birthday, and I open up, and this is, kids, you relate to this. Like, and you, I see some, some young people in the room. Like, you, you get this when you get the cards, you know, from grandma. Like, no offense, but you're like, you're hoping there's something in it, you know. And you're like shaking it, and you're like, ah, if it's a card, like, thank you. I'll put it in my card collection. And I got one of those cards, and, and it, inside it was a skydiving certificate. And I was so excited. And so I was going to go to San Marcos. That's where they have this skydiving facility. And to, get, to set you up on the story, they have a, uh, a plane that's wrecked out here in San Marcos that's wrecked in the front of the building where you go skydiving. And it says there's no such thing as a perfectly good airplane. So they set you up into this thing like, hey, if you're already scared, we're going to make you a little bit more scared. 
And so uh, I was excited to go skydiving. And so uh, they, they put you in these, like, really embarrassing, like, pink, hot pink, like, jumpsuits. And they, they put you in them. And, they, and you spend maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes on training. Like, mind you, I'm about to put my life in the hands of people. And I had, like, 15 minutes of, like, and, and, and if you've ever been part of this, they train you. And then they make you sign this document that's, like, if the, if the pilot crashes today, like, it's not his fault. And you're, like, it's not his fault. And then... You, you know, like if, if something happens and the parachute, you know, and someone else packed your parachute and it didn't work, it's not that guy's fault. And you're like, it's not that guy's fault. And so you like sign your life away and, and it's just this buildup to like this anticipation and this scariness. And I remember getting on the plane and I was on the plane here in St. Marcus with, with probably uh, maybe 15 or so other people. And so we were uh, on this plane together, all in these little jumpsuits and and I remember just, it was the most intense and fun ride. They, they like, their seatbelts flying, it's super loud. They, like, midway through the flight, they open the door, you know, and they, they, they slide it open, and, and it's like, and then I get up there, you know, and they're like, are you ready? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe. And so we get up there, and, and, when, and they told me on my training, my 10-minute training or whatever, that I, I needed to, to, uh, to lean back and put my head forward so when they pushed me out that I wouldn't, you know, whatever the, the thing is. So I just remembered. I was like, okay, lean back, head forward. And then I get up, and my guy, there's a guy attached to me, you know, who's like pulls you up to the end. And he gets to the ledge, and he's like, hey, I, he goes, when I count to three, when I hit three, I need you to lean back into me with your head as hard as possible. And I was like, that's not what they told me on the ground, you know. So here I am, skydiving, you know, I'm about to, like, risk my life, and this is not the training that they told me when I was on the ground. So I'm on the ledge here, and I'm, I'm a little freaked out, and, and so they, they go one and two, and then all of a sudden this guy goes, excuse me, and he pulls out, and he has a GoPro on his hand, and he jumps out the plane, and he's holding on to the side of the deal, like, and he's like, PJ, yeah. And that's how they film you. They're like, this is just crazy dude, like, has Red Bulls, and he's like, ah. So he's, he's like, jumps out there, and so then he goes, one, two, three, and I pull back, and he does a double backflip coming out of the plane with me. And I'm telling you, it was the most incredible experience, and the crazy dude that's filming me came up, and he's like, hey, grab my hand, dude, and he's, like, spinning, and I'm like, it's a psychotic dude. I don't know what is happening. And, and so I, we, we're skydiving, and, and, and all of a sudden, uh, I was so into this experience. It's so amazing. I can't even explain it to you. Uh, kids, don't do it unless your parents tell you to. It's cool. Um, but I, was, I remember just, just going, and all of a sudden, I, I forget, like, the parachute pulls, and I'm like, oh, we have a parachute, you know? You're just so into the experience, and they pull the parachute, and, and then you have this, like, three or four-minute, like, flight down, you know? It's beautiful, and you're, they land on a little dot, which I don't know how they do it, but they, they figure it out, and and I remember something happened, and, and, and the Lord reminded me of this, of this experience years later that really, for me, became a prophetic word to the church, a prophetic word to how I chose to live my life from here on out. And I want to tell you about this experience. We were, we were on the, the, in the air still, and I remember we were, you know, they're, they're flying you down, and all of a sudden, the plane that we started in was landing. So I'm still in the air, floating down, trying to land on this little gravel pit, and the plane lands in the exact same place that it took off in. And all of a sudden, I see it land, and it pulls up, and I, I see all of a sudden these little pink jumpsuits coming out, these pink little jumpsuits. And they're, like, laughing and high-fiving because some people got pushed out, you know, and all kinds of things. And some people jumped out, and they were like, no, you know, like trying to reach back for the plane, but it's too late. And so it's just, it was, it was exciting, and you're watching all these other people. And, and I had this moment with the Lord. And the Lord really put this on my heart as a picture for the church that 
that what happens and what could be really scary is this church is amazing, but it was never about buildings. It was never about what, what happens within these four walls per se. I almost kind of love that, 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 that the coronavirus is almost creating some tension for the church a little bit. Because it's really kind of beginning to expose a little bit. And what, what the Lord gave me the picture in this is that the, 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 the plane wasn't meant for people to ride and then just land. The plane was designed to take you up as a launching pad, as, as something you were designed to leave, to jump. And yet so many people, because it's exciting and church is amazing and this place is clean. All of you are online, it's clean in here. Yeah. But the, but the church can become a really fun, intense plane ride that you watch other people jump out of. And if you're not careful, the church can be a vehicle that actually ends you up at the same place where you started. You ever go to church for a long time, like a few years, and you realize I haven't really gotten anywhere with my life? It's because the church is just a vehicle to launch you into something greater. The church has always been designed to be a building to encourage the saints for the work of the ministry that we would actually go work in the ministry. Not work in the ministry, but work in the ministry. And so, man, I had this picture with skydiving, and I thought, man, how many of us have these ledges? Ledges of how things used to be. Ledge, le, like ledges of, of, of our presumptions of, of what things should look like. Or ledges of our own insecurities. Or legend, ledges of our own fear. Our own guilt, our own shame. Like, what is that ledge? And I believe that God wants to unleash the church today to jump off the ledge. To be mobilized to our communities, to our work, to our neighborhoods. That you become a pastor of your street. That you become a pastor of your area. That Man, the church doesn't become less effective because there's less people in here. The church can actually be more effective because we're not here, we're there. Come on now. We all have a ledge this morning that I pray that you consider jumping from. I want to talk a little bit really quickly about the journey that led to Peter's jump. Because we see Peter jump. He dives into the water. He, he actually peels back his clothes and dives in. But, but the, there, this jump is important to the question that Jesus asks him. It's a two-sided thing here. It's a jump and a question that changes everything. See, I, I love Peter when I read about him in the Bible. Because I feel like I relate to him the most. The guy who's ordinary. A guy who doesn't have all the skills and talents. The guy that, that's just kind of the, the dude that, that just does his thing. And he's faithful to kind of go to work. And, and, and yet Jesus calls him to a great thing. We can relate to this, this, I believe, Peter's story here. See, some of you today, I want to tell you that you feel a little ordinary. And you, you maybe idolize people with microphones or that have greater talents than you, than you. But can I tell you that Jesus used Peter to start the church and he was a normal person who just said yes. Like, I'll go where you'll go. I'll drop everything to follow you. I'll use my talents and my skills to see people come to know you. I'll bring the hope to where I live, learn, and work, and play. Like, what does that look like for you? We can relate to Peter's journey. And some of you that don't know Jesus, can I tell you that Jesus has a purpose for your life? That where you see that you've been damaged, God wants to use damage to bring healing to you and then also to bring healing to the world around you. Like he wants to engage us in a great purpose. So we can relate to Peter that we were called. Some of you relate to Peter because do you know that Peter actually is the only other person that we know of that walked on water like Jesus? Like he actually stepped out of a boat in a storm and walked on top of the water. So Peter wasn't just a normal guy. He started actually ministering and doing some crazy miracles for Jesus. Some of you maybe have experienced God use you in powerful ways. Maybe you can relate 
to Peter in that way. And then what happens is Peter's on this journey and he's seeing Jesus and he's trying to be like him and he's trying to live this life the best that he can. And then it says that that one day comes when, when Jesus says at a table that one of you is going to deny me. And Peter says, I'll never deny you. I'll never do it. And he says, actually, Peter, the rooster is going to crow three times one day when I'm going to die on the cross. And you're going to deny me before, the, before the, the, the rooster crows. And all of a sudden, he denies Jesus. And actually, one, one of the encounters, a little girl says, aren't you with that guy, Jesus? This little girl, like a little girl asks him. And he was so embarrassed that he didn't say anything. He just said, no, I'm not with that Jesus guy. And, and that was the third time. And it says that he locked eyes with Jesus. And then the rooster crowed. And that was really one of the last times we know of that Peter saw Jesus before he died. Could you imagine for a minute the guilt and the shame of something you just did to the person you love the most? And this is where we find Peter. And, and I say that we can relate to this. I, I don't necessarily say that maybe you lie to little girls that ask you where you went on Sunday morning or, you know, people that ask you, are you go, do you go to church? But uh, I realize this, that I relate to the story because we are the great compartmentalizers of our life, right? This is why this feels really tentious in these times because if church, if we can't meet, then what is, I don't know what my faith looks like. But see, we've compartmentalized faith over here and work over here and, 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 and then home over here, and there's no integration between any of it. We, we've kind of compartmentalized our lives. In a way, we've somewhat subtly denied Jesus. When you go to work and people don't see the presence of God in you because you've compartmentalized, that, my, my God stuff happens over here and my work stuff happens over here, and then all of a sudden we become subtly deniers of Jesus. And so we can relate to Peter, and maybe, in a, and maybe I'm a little abstract in saying that, but I just want to say that we can relate to Peter in this journey, that there are times when we know that we may not have lived to our potential. I know for me, I can think of times when I'm like, man, I, I wish I would have had the courage, or I wish I would have asked, or I wish that my life wasn't so compartmentalized, that it was more integrated than it is. And so we see, we pick up this story, and I'm going to read the scripture to you. So I set up kind of where Peter's at, okay? So this is where his headspace is at. This is the journey he's been on. And it says this, after this, Jesus, so Jesus has already died and rose again. And he revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples, they were all together. And Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Like, I've messed up. I, like, this isn't going well for me. I don't really know if Jesus wants to use me anymore. And so I'm going to go fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they all got out of the boat, but that night they caught nothing. A real side note, this isn't what point of my message. This is free, so this won't cost you anything. But, but this is the power of the church. I'm not here to say this doesn't have power. Like what's powerful about this is you need a community of people that when you are dealing with anxiety or you're dealing with guilt and shame, that people say, we're getting in the boat with you. So if you haven't engaged in small groups, that's the power of small groups. The power of small groups is that when you're at your worst, that people say, well, we're jumping in the boat with you. Like, we're getting in with you. Like, you can go pout, but we're going to be pouting with you in the boat here dealing with this together. I mean, I had this, somebody ask me this question once. If today you made the decision to walk away from God, like today, you were like, I'm just done with all this. How many people would be in your boat? How many people would you have to fight through to leave Jesus right now? Like, is there enough people or is it a free, is like a, just a, it's a, just a free walk for you? 
See, we need to put people in our lives. Like, even my brother-in-law, like, like if I started walking away from the Lord, this guy would body check me. I mean, he's twice my size, but he would, he'd be like, what are you doing? You know, he'd body check me in the wall and say, hey, like, if you're going to go, then I'm walking out with you. We're going to figure this out together because that's the power of the church. Amen? Sorry, side note. I get, I get sidetracked. But here's what we see. Picking up in the scripture, they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Convenient that Jesus shows up. And yet the disciples didn't even know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, well, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Interesting enough in this story, this is the exact same way that Jesus encountered Peter when he first called him to follow him. He did the exact same thing. It's a setup. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. Like they didn't recognize him, and now they do. That's Jesus. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea to swim out to Jesus. I mean, like, like Dean and I have gone fishing so many times. I don't like the Gulf of Coast, you know what I mean? Like, like diving into the water in the Gulf, you can't see nothing. No, thank you. Like there is some weird fish out there and I'm not diving in, but he risked it all. But think about this jump for a minute. Like, like really, think about this jump. He had to face shame. He had to face guilt. He had to face fear of what Jesus would say to him when he actually dove back in the water. He had to face his past. He had to face even his accomplishments the things he's already experienced. He had to face that in order to experience something new with Jesus. He had to risk what he knew may happen to him in order to experience something genuine. So Peter dove and he swam out to Jesus and they have this breakfast, with, they have fish for breakfast, which I don't understand that, it's gross. But when they finished breakfast, verse 15, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I mean, this is like the genuineness of Peter's heart. You know that I love you. Like, you know, if all this was stripped away and church didn't exist and all this complication went away, you know, like the bottom of the line, like, I love you. And he says, it's almost like he's saying, I know. So feed my sheep. Like, go love my people. Like, I've shown you how to do. And he said to him a second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, well, then tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon of John, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved this time because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, well, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But now, when you were old, you would stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show about what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, what? Follow me. See, I believe that this question unraveled some things in Peter. I believe that for Peter, things for him got a little complicated. What started as just leaving the nets and doing whatever Jesus said turned into performance, turned into a little bit more complicated. There were some, some things that he was noticing in himself that he made church about something that it wasn't. He made this journey with Jesus something that it wasn't and it became fear-based. 
He, he was fearful that he wouldn't be the best, and he was fearful that he would make another mistake, and he made a mistake, and now he was filled with guilt and shame, and so something in this moment was unlocked, and it begins Peter's ministry to the world. He finally, I believe, and I want to say this to you, he became fully alive, fully known, fully called, fully empowered, and fully unleashed. And I want to say to you, Jesus wants to make you today fully alive, fully known, like that he knows everything and it's okay exactly who you are, that you're fully called, that it's not your gifts, but he wants to empower you and call you to a great move of God in this city again, that you're fully empowered to do things, to bring the good news and the hope to the broken and lost in our communities, to the broken and lost where you work and where you learn and where you live and where you play. That he wants to fully unleash the church again to be effective where we live. So two takeaways, and then I'm going to close it out. I want to keep it short with you. But two takeaways from the story that I want to leave you with. And the, the Peter takeaway in the story, there's two sides of it, is, is that you've got to jump off your ledge. My question to you that I've asked you this morning is what's holding you back from becoming fully alive, fully called, fully fulfilled? Is it fear? Is it the risk? Like if I actually do something and begin to engage my faith at work, like what would people think of me? Like is it the risk of doing something you know God's called you to do in your business, but you think it might cost you a little bit more or colleagues might question your, your, your thought processes on how you do things? Is it a religious spirit? And I, I mean this gently, but like we love church. I love church. I'm a pastor. I love church. But it's like a religious spirit holding us back from being truly effective. Because this doesn't make sense for a lot of people. So as a religious spirit, has that become our ledge? And, and, and we've, we've loved this kind of gathering, but like going, it seems a little bit more scary. Is our accomplishments, have you, has it turned into cynicism? Like towards the church, but you attend anyway. And I don't, that, that's confusing to me. that You don't like the church, but you attend because you want to like make it better, but you don't actually go do anything. Like, is there some things that are holding you back to actually engaging? Are you failures? Do you feel like a failure today because there's no way God could redeem you? You've been divorced twice or whatever, and no way God could use me. And I want to tell you that that's not true, that God wants to tell you today that if you'll jump off the ledge, he'll tell you that, do you love me? Then go, go do what I've called you to do. Go feed my sheep. Man, is your past, is it sin? Is it guilt? Is it anxiety? Is it laziness? Is it the what ifs if I do this? What is your ledge today? I want to tell you this really interesting story. Uh, I love stories, by the way, if you don't know. My wife says, you tell stories so good. Um, but I remember being in the skydiving, and, and the ledge moment before I jumped, can I tell you that I had, uh, I had these thoughts go through my head? And it was other people's thoughts. And people told me before I went skydiving what it was going to feel like. And they told me that it was going to feel like the roller coaster, you know, like the Rattler at Fiesta, Texas. Like, it's going to feel like that, and your stomach drops, and you're like, ah. And I, I had this, like, little bit anxiety attack on the ledge because I'm thinking of all these other thoughts of what people told me it was going to be like. And when I jumped, they were all liars. <laughs> and I realized something, that I was listening. I was letting what other people thought about what my journey was going to be like dictate me from jumping. And yet most of those people never jumped. Like those people that were telling me what it's going to feel like, they like read, you know, like a Reddit article on Facebook. Like, hey, I heard people that go, like, you ever have those people? Like, we know. It's okay if you post on Facebook articles that aren't true. Uh, but we read them, right? And we, and we get on the ledge. 
And we, and we go, man, well, if you were to actually do this and engage your faith, like, this is what it's going to be like. This is what people are going to say to you. And, like, well, you've never done it, and they've never done it. So why are you letting others hold you back? I remember having this thought, and I just thought, man, I've got to press through this and jump. And the jump experienced was so amazing. And I'm glad I didn't listen to other people because I would have just sat on the plane. And I would have landed and had a good time and jumped out with my pink jumpsuit and had nothing to show for it except a plane ride. And I'm so glad that I chose to press through. See, my wife and I were youth pastors, and we were ministering to a youth, uh, a really broken youth community in Olympia, Washington. It's a very liberal state. Uh, it's a, a lot of broken young people. It was one of the highest suicide rates in the country. Uh, I remember one year we had six suicides in just one quarter of school. Um, and so imagine dealing with that, and we're trying to minister to young people. And in the middle of this, I love what's happening, and we're seeing God move, and God intersected our lives and asked my wife and I to take a risk and said, I want you to take a risk, and I want you to move to Austin, Texas. And I'm like, what? Austin, I love where I'm at. I love being in the, in the Pacific Northwest. I love Seattle area. It's beautiful. And you want me to move where? Like when I grew up here, Austin was just a little, like you go there for the capital. That's it. You know, there's nothing there. And we, we, I, I, we got this sense from God that we were supposed to go. But here's the crazy part. I started processing this with my pastor, and I said, hey, I, we really feel like God's calling us to Texas. And he said, well, let's just sit around here for a year, and let's, like, wait for it, see what jobs are opening up, what opportunities you could be a part of. And I prayed. I said, okay, Lord, is that what you want us to do? And he said, no, I want you to go. And I said, God, we don't have jobs. And he said, I don't care. I want you to go. Do you trust me? And so we had this moment, like, is, God, is my faith, like, more than a pulpit sermon? Like, would I trust God when he says go, would I go? When he says do something, would I do something? And so we risked it all. We, we left our roles. We transitioned out well, if you wanted to know. Um, we transitioned out well, and we left with no jobs. I didn't have any connections in Austin. All my connections are in San Antonio. And we moved to Austin, and I had no idea what we are going to do. And yet the Lord began to reveal to us this church that was being birthed. In our, in, our, in our souls, and our minds, about what it could look like if we could start a movement in Austin that, that where the church can be mobilized to reach communities across our city. But it took moving. It took the step. It took actually getting here where I didn't even have a job until we were driving here. And my wife gets a job at a hospital downtown Austin, and, and my dad wanted to all of a sudden mysteriously want to plant a branch in Austin, which ha happened to work out with the timing of me moving here. Isn't it of the Lord that sometimes the risk that you think God's not going to provide, and it holds you back, but when you jump, God reveals to you what was on the other side of that jump. And so for us, that was my ledge, and it was fear, and it was what, 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 what are the what ifs, and what if I don't get a job, and what if it doesn't line up, and God, what if you don't show up here? And he says, will you trust me? Will you risk it? Will you take a step? And so what is your ledge this morning? What is God calling you to jump off of? And the Jesus takeaway is this. So the first point was jump off your ledge. The Jesus takeaway, the second point is that his love uncomplicates everything. See, verse 15, he tells Peter simply, do you love me? And, and I want you to just pick this up for a minute. If you know the story about Peter, when he denies Jesus, he denies Jesus three times. He denies Jesus. He, he was with the people and said, do you know Jesus? He said, no. With some other people, do you know Jesus? No. And then he's with this little girl, do you know Jesus? No. And yet Jesus asks him three times. Isn't this really interesting? He says, do you love me? Almost saying like, hey, I know you messed up, and it's okay, and I love you. That's what matters. Do you love me? Then just feed my sheep. And he asks him a second time, do you love me? Almost saying, hey, I know you denied me that second time. And I'm just here to tell you that I love you, and I know it's okay. Do you love me? I know you love me. It's almost like Jesus knows. He's like, I know. 
I'm just asking you. But I'm uncomplicating things here. You've made it about your failure, and I'm making it about your potential. That's what I did for you that frees you to live your potential. And he says, do you love me three times? It's almost like he was forgiving him of the three times that he denied him. And so I'll tell you today, like some of you need to hear that you're never too far gone. Like if Jesus shows us anything, it's that your past never dictates your future in Jesus. That when you're with him, that it doesn't matter what your past looked like. He's literally going to be standing before you and say, it's okay, son, daughter, I love you. Do you love me? Well, come on then, let's go. Feed my sheep. Like, he didn't have a therapy session. He didn't have, like, a five-step program to be free from guilt. It was just a moment of understanding that Jesus still loved him and that he was loved and that he loved Jesus that empowered him to go and be the church. Today, you need nothing more than to be told that Jesus loves you and that he has a plan for you. And he's asking you today, do you love me? Well, then, man, just love my people. Love the people that are around you that I've called you to. I want to say this, and I was tensioned by saying this, so Ryan, Pastor Ryan, if you're watching, I'm sorry. Uh, you can email him if this offends you. I'm just kidding. But seriously, you can. Ryan at LifehouseSA.com. Um, <laughs> I email him a lot, so I know his email. So, uh, My fear for the church in this time during the coronavirus scare, I believe it's exposing it, like exposing the church and more importantly us as believers because I believe we are the church. It's exposing if we have any substance. Tragedy has a funny way, doesn't it? Like if you've ever lost somebody, I lost my mom this past year. Like tragedy has this funny way of stripping away everything that was so complicated before and it just kind of like pulls out like is there any substance in your faith? And what's happening right here is the coronavirus is almost taking this away from the church the building, the programs, and it's exposing if there's any substance within the souls of the people that make up this church. And I believe that there's substance here. I feel it. I can sense it that there's substance in your soul, that God wants to use you. So even if we never meet back in this building again, that there's substance that God wants to speak into you, that he wants to, to tell you, that he wants to call you. He wants the church to be mobilized to the world. San Antonio can still be saved because of you, because of what God is doing in you. I share this story because I remember I was preaching a sermon at a, at a youth night in Washington, and I had this boy, uh, I, had, I was ministering with some group home boys, and this guy was 15 years old, and um, he was locked up in jail until he was 21, and did some bad things, and, uh, but I took, the government would let me, I, I got fingerprinted, and they'd let me take him to church every week, so I would drive to his group home, and as long as he behaved, I could take him to church, and he would sit and, and on the front row with me, and and, you know, they, he stole all kinds of stuff, kids' iPads, and, you know, I had to deal with all that, which was super fun. And, but I love this kid. And he was like, I, I didn't relate to him. I've never been locked up. I wasn't hard, you know, I wasn't cool. But, but I love this kid. And he came with me every week. And I, I take him. And, and one day I was driving. I preached this, like, in my mind, this awesome sermon, you know. And, and he starts crying. And he starts telling me that he lost both of his parents, that all he had was his grandma. And his grandma hadn't visited him in two years in jail. And, and he tells me, and, and because there's kids in the room, I won't tell you the story. I was planning on telling you the full story, but, but he, the way he lost his parents was extremely devastating. And he's crying and with tears down his face, and he looks over at me, and he asks me the question that none of us want to hear sometimes. How does the Jesus you preached about help me? Essentially, what's the substance behind all this? Like, great message, pastor. Awesome job. But how does that help me? Like, I'm dying here. Like, I don't have anything left in the tank, and I need someone to tell me that there's more to Jesus than just church. 
just a message that I need to come here that's going to change my life. He wanted to know that he was loved and that someone loved him. And so in that moment in the car, I began to share with him about the love of Jesus. I didn't share with him anything else. I couldn't. That's all he wanted. And I said, this is how Jesus' love has changed my life. And can I tell you that Jesus' love is going to change your life. And he wants to tell you that you have a purpose. That although you don't see it and although the world, maybe the, the, you're dealing with the consequences of things you've done, it doesn't hinder you from being used by God. And he said yes to Jesus in this moment. I invite Jesus into his heart. And the next week he comes to me and he says, I need ten Bibles. And I was like, why? He goes, I want to do a Bible study in my group home with all these guys. I want to show them who Jesus said. He goes, and there's some crazy people, people that like believe in Buddha and believe in all these crazy things. I'm just going to believe that God's going to bring them. Like they're going to experience God's love. And I said, do you want me to come and lead it? And he goes, no. And I was like, cool. He's <laughs> like, I don't need a pastor, bro. Get out of here. <laughs> but see, what happens is people are looking for substance. They're not looking for messages. They're not looking for people with microphones. Although we love this. And this is powerful. He's looking for substance. Is there substance within you? Have you just experienced church? Or have you met the transforming love of Jesus for your life? So as I close, I want to say this to you. What's holding you back today? What's on your ledge? Where have things gotten a little complicated? That you've made it about buildings and programs and there's not enough whatever. And you've, you've sat kind of angry or frustrated that the church doesn't do this or that. And and yet Jesus is just looking into you and saying it's not that complicated because I want you to know that you're loved and that I want you to feed my people. I see God, and I want to speak this as a word to you. I see God unleashing Lifehouse, this church, you and me, to reach this world for his sake. I see a church that's mobilized. I see a church that's effective. I see a church that's meeting people's needs around the city. I see a church that isn't afraid to step out, that isn't afraid if this meeting's canceled. I see a church that's changing the world. And the question to you and me is, do you love Jesus? Will you feed his sheep? And I pray today that you take that leap into the waters.